0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew.
1: Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The main theme from the Sermon on the Mount is that true followers of Jesus Christ are to be more concerned about the thoughts, attitudes, and motives of their hearts than about external religious performance which only produces a false righteousness. So we, most of you probably wrote that down from last week, but again, that's what Jesus is dealing with here. He's dealing with thoughts and attitudes and motives of the heart. So this stuff cuts deeply.
0: In today's message, Pastor Gary will talk about motivations. In Christianity, there can be a lot of things to do. You can go to church, serve in church, join a Bible study, lead a Bible study, and so much more. But the question is, why do we do these things? Is it to grow closer to Christ and to serve Him? Or is it just to show those around us that we're doing all the right things? doing what you feel like you should do instead of what you want to do grow closer to God only brings faithless works. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 6 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: We uh, started looking at the Sermon on the Mount last week. Uh, My uh, goal is to simply just take one chapter a week, and so we started with chapter 5, tonight chapter 6, Lord willing next week chapter 7. This is the longest of any of the recorded sermons that Jesus preached. It is affectionately referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is uh, an actual picture from our last trip uh, to Israel, and uh, this is actually the location where the picture was taken, standing on what is traditionally the, uh, the Mount of Beatitudes. And uh, this may have been very well the location where Jesus delivered this sermon. There's a natural uh, theater in the landscape on the hillside of uh, the Sea of Galilee. This is the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And um, it, you need to imagine yourself here in this scene, because uh, even as we get into some of the verses tonight, uh, Jesus is going to use a description of the landscape to uh, bring to bear some of the truth in this teaching as he refers to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field because it is here on the hillside that uh, lilies grow wild and, and uh, birds as they just kind of flutter about. It's just uh, you know an amazing thing to think how Jesus used everyday life to communicate a deep spiritual eternal truth. As we kind of place ourselves here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, we're here in chapter 6 now, and as I shared with you last week, the main theme from the Sermon on the Mount is that true followers of Jesus Christ are to be more concerned about the thoughts, attitudes, and motives of their hearts than about external religious performance which only produces a false righteousness. So we, most of you probably wrote that down from last week, but again, that's what Jesus is dealing with here. He's dealing with thoughts, And attitudes and motives of the heart. So this stuff cuts deeply because, you know, a lot of people can behave in a certain way, uh, but behavior is not always indicative of the heart. People can fake you out by what they do, and it may not really accurately reflect who they are on the inside, and Jesus is uh, teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount that it's not just how you behave, but it's the motivation, the attitudes, and the thoughts behind your behavior that God sees and God knows, and we got to get that right. Because if we get our thoughts and our attitudes and our heart right, then our behavior will follow. So God is dealing with the deeper issues of life, thoughts, attitudes, and heart issues, and Last week, as we looked into chapter 5, he talked about uh, being salt and light in the world. He talked about uh, you might pride yourself on the fact that you've not uh, uh, broken the sixth commandment about uh, murder, but yet if you have hated someone in your heart, you've, had, uh, you've, you've broken the commandment in essence because you've had murder in your heart. If you have not Uh, literally committed adultery. You may not necessarily be innocent of breaking the seventh commandment. If you've lusted after another person, uh, lust itself uh, is a heart issue that God sees and knows. And so he challenges us on all these different levels. And then we get here to chapter six. And you'll notice that beginning here in chapter six, Jesus begins to contrast the hypocrisy of religion with the sincerity of a relationship the hypocrisy of religion with the sincerity of a relationship. And he is going to emphasize having a personal relationship with God. Three times he uses the word hypocrite in the, in the sixth chapter, and 12 times he uses the word father, referring to God as father. Now, you have to, again, put yourself in the sandals of the Jewish listeners of this day. As Jesus is saying all these things, they traditionally would have thought of God as a national figure, not as a personal God. They would see him as the God of Israel. They would see him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is those things. But Jesus is trying to get them to understand, and this is truth for us today, too, that he's not just this national God. He's not just the God of the universe. He is a personal father. And he wants to have personal relationship with each of us on an intimate, personal level. The creator of the universe would desire to have personal relationship with every single one of us. This is a profound thing when you stop and think about it. And yet this is what Jesus is trying to bring to bear with this sermon. That God is a personal God. He's not just a national God. He's not just the creator God, which he is. But he's a personal God who loves every single person. And Jesus himself is going to die on the cross to secure that eternal relationship that all can have with God through faith in Jesus. And so you'll notice the emphasis on on the word God as father throughout the sixth chapter, 12 times. I think it's three times he uses the word Father in chapter 5 and twice in chapter 7 or the other way around, but but five additional times in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, but 12 times right here in chapter 6. And he begins uh, in chapter 6 talking here, uh, the first three subjects uh, that he's going to talk about have to do with giving, praying, and fasting, giving, praying, and fasting, and there's some similarities here. Now, as you look at, as you just take a quick glance at your at your Bibles here in the sixth chapter. Some of you have subtitles, so the first section is giving to the needy. The second section is prayer. The third section is fasting. And then, Lord willing, if we have time tonight, we'll also talk about treasures in heaven and and not worrying. But the first three subjects that Jesus deals with here are giving, praying, and fasting. Now I want you to notice some things in common even before we begin studying through this. The first one is this, that Jesus assumes we're doing these things. Because every single time here he talks about giving, praying, and fasting, he begins by saying, when you pray. When you give, when you fast. He doesn't say if. There's already an assumption on the part of our Lord that his followers do these things on a regular basis, on a consistent basis. Notice with me, just take a quick survey, uh, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, not if, but when. If you look at the section on prayer in verse 5, he says, and when you pray, not if, but when. And when you go down to verse 16, when he talks about fasting, he says, when you fast. So the assumption of Jesus is that his disciples, his followers, and that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is about. This is a challenge to being a follower of Jesus Christ. This is not for the faint of heart. Jesus raises the bar. He sets the standard. He lifts it high. And he says, if you want to be a true devoted follower of mine, Jesus is saying, these things will apply to us. And again, it's when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. These should be regular disciplines of the disciples of Christ. The second thing that all of these have in common, these three topics here, is that these things should be done without show. Without show. There should be no fanfare. There should be nothing that draws attention to ourselves in the act of giving, praying, or fasting. Now, that isn't to say that you, you know, it's not noticeable. You know, when we receive an offering on, on Sundays and we you know, pass the offering bags, people might notice if you give. Uh, if you pray publicly, if you pray in a small group setting, people are going to notice that you pray. Uh, some, somebody might know you're fasting. If you say, oh, I can't go to lunch right now, and then they keep pressing you why?" And, you know, and then you end up saying, well, I'm fasting right now. But, but the idea is that it might be noticeable, but you're not parading it. Because every time in each of these sections, Jesus talks about doing it in secret, doing it in secret. Uh, in verse 4, when he talks about giving, he says, so that your giving may be in secret. Uh, in, when he talks about prayer, he says that word, that phrase in verse 6, he says, then your Father who sees what is done in secret... And the same term he uses when he talks about fasting in verse 18, the end of verse 18, he says, who sees what is done in secret. And so uh, Jesus challenges us to not be, and he's going to contrast this with the hypocrites, you'll see in a moment, he says, don't be like the hypocrites, don't be like people who love to draw attention to themselves, to show how spiritual they are, by getting everybody to notice that they're a big giver, a big prayer, and they like to fast a lot. He says, do this kind of thing discreetly and privately. But then the third similarity here with all of these is that God sees what you do in private, and he adds, and God will reward you. And God will reward you. Every single time here, he talks about God seeing and God rewarding. So at the end of the section on giving in verse four, he says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And uh, he says it again Uh, In relation to prayer in verse six, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he says the same thing about fasting at the end of verse 18, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, you know, we don't do these things in order to be rewarded, but Jesus is just simply saying that a natural benefit of being faithful in the areas of giving, praying, and fasting is that your Father in heaven is going to reward you. Jesus says just as a a basic benefit for, for exercising these disciplines, God, your Father, is going to reward you. Now, let's take a look at the text together as uh, he first starts out with the idea of giving to the needy. So in verse 1, he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. So here's this challenge about not parading it. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. Now, you will read certain commentaries, and some will say that literally uh, sometimes the Pharisees would do this. When they would give to the needy, they would blow the silver trumpet so that everybody could know that they were giving. Uh, but, the, but when you read other commentaries, it says that there's really no, and I couldn't find any in my research, that there's really no reference in Jewish literature to what Jesus is talking about in regards to blowing your trumpets when you give to the needy. So best that we can probably figure is that it's an expression. It's a phrase. Like we would say today, don't blow your own trumpet. You know, don't blow your own horn. If, you, if you've done something good, don't, don't blow your own horn. You know, don't make a big deal about it. But just be humble about it. Be private about it. Be discreet about it. Jesus says only the hypocrites love to draw attention to themselves. He says, I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, again, not if, but when you give, when you're generous, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, this is another expression. You know, how do you not let your left hand know you're supposed to give in the offering and like tuck one hand behind your back so the other hand doesn't know? I mean, it, all Jesus is saying here is give in such a way that it is so private and discreet and unto the Lord that, that your left hand wouldn't even know what your right hand is doing. It's, it's that discreet. And I have to say that, you know, I, I have been able to witness anonymously uh, how the Lord has been using some of you in this regard. We have some families that are going through some difficulties right now. And occasionally, and I hear this from pastors, not by name, I have no idea who this is, but some of the pastors on staff have said about how some of you will privately just give a wad of cash to one of our pastors and say, hey, could you bless this family because they're going through a hard time and you knew about it. And so we just transfer the money to them in that simple way. And it is your way of living out this when some of you do that. Where, where you see a family in need, but you don't want it to be known, and so you give through a third party so that they can be blessed. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus is saying, that it's wonderful to be a blessing to other people, but we don't even have to uh, have it known when, when we want to be a blessing because we want to do it ultimately unto the Lord. And uh, it's, it's, you know, sometimes if you practice this kind of thing, you know what kind of a thrill it is. because You just want to bless somebody. You don't ever want them to know. And so you just give it anonymously. You send it in the mail. You just do something that blesses other people. And this is the kind of thing that God sees and that God rewards. And it's also noteworthy that in verse 4, when Jesus ends this section, he says, So that your giving may be in secret, then your father, the word your in the Greek is Singular. Now he's speaking to, uh, you know, we don't know how many, he doesn't say how many people, but, but there's a great number of people who have gathered here as he teaches this Sermon on the Mount, and yet he personalizes this. And again, he takes the concept of God as being big and creator and national God, and he makes it very personal, and he makes it singular. He says, then your personal Father in heaven, just, just hear how relational that is, your Father in heaven. They would not typically in those days have referred to God as Father. They, they would not, even out of respect, even today, Jews out of respect for God do not even use His proper name. They will say in Hebrew, Hashem, which just means the name. We don't even want to say His proper name because we don't want to dishonor His name. And Jesus is saying here, referred to Him as Father, Abba. He's your Daddy in heaven. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that in a personal, relational way is the way that Jesus intended. That he is our Abba. He is our Father who loves us and wants relationship with us. And Jesus takes us and he makes it very personal. He says, then your singular, personal Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then Jesus speaks here in this section of prayer. Now, prayer is important historically. Uh, prayer was something that the Jews practiced as a ritual. And to some degree, in all honesty, uh, they still do today. Now, let me just give a little uh, background on the subject of prayer before we launch into what Jesus says so that it will give you some perspective on this. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you can either turn there or just listen, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, the Lord um, establishes some significance on um, on knowing the Word of God and uh, in prayer, uh, because in Deuteronomy chapter six, this is a section known uh, to the Jews as the Great Shema. Uh, Shema means to hear, and there is a prayer out of Deuteronomy six four. Uh, that, that uh, the Jews will recite on a regular basis. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Alehonu, Adonai Echad. The Lord is one, but he's our God who is one. And then the Lord says in Deuteronomy six five, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now just retain that. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now. When the Lord gave this instruction here in Deuteronomy 6, the Jews began to take this very literally, so that prayer then took on a time of twice a day, because the Lord says here about uh, when you lie down and when you get up. So originally, the Jews practiced a regular time of prayer twice a day before 9 a.m. in the morning and before 9 p.m. at night, when you get up and when you lie down. 9 a.m., before 9 a.m. and before 9 p.m., twice a day. They also took the other section literally where God says tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And uh, so even today, uh, you will find when uh, Orthodox Jews will pray that they will literally tie these boxes around their forehead called phylacteries, and they will uh, tie leather straps around their arms to, to take literally that passage from Deuteronomy 6. In fact, here's a picture of uh, a soldier of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, as he's in his time of prayer, and you see the box that is tied on his forehead. He has another box on his arm, and he has the leather leather straps that are tied tightly on his arm, and this is the way that they remind themselves literally of Deuteronomy 6. And in those boxes on the forehead and on his arm are passages of Scripture, uh, mainly from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. In Numbers chapter fifteen, that are that are rolled up, little tiny verses, passages of scripture in those boxes, and they take this literally that they are to bind them on their forehead and on their arms. Uh, did Jesus mean this, or rather, did the law mean it as literally as uh, they practice it today? Well, uh, Jesus actually rebukes some of this in Matthew twenty-three five when he talks about the showiness and. I'm not saying this guy is trying to be showy. I'm just saying that in Jesus' day, when they would do this, they would do it with wrong motives because Jesus rebuked them in their hearts. And he said in Matthew 23, 5, Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Long. Now, in the ancient in the ancient culture, the tassels on, on their garments were tassels to remind them to pray, and they made them extra long as if to indicate that they are uh, people who give extra time in prayer, and they would make their boxes really, you know, I, when Jesus rebukes them like this, I begin to envision like a bread box, you know, tied to somebody's head. It's really heavy, and you're walking around, but you want people to know that you pray. And So they're doing this kind of thing, and Jesus rebukes them in Matthew 23, 5. He says, you're doing this to be seen by men. And so when you read what he instructed, what the law instructed in Deuteronomy 6, it's not so much that God meant this literally, like wrap these things around your arm, but he meant them in the sense that let the word of God and prayer be such a real regular part of your life. It's as if you were binding all of this on your body. It should be a regular practice in our lives that we should be about the word of God and about prayer. But it was taken to a whole level of being a regimented, repeated, just scheduled event. Now, at the turn of the 6th century BC, the two times of prayer went to three times of prayer a day. Because when the Jews were taken into captivity into ancient Babylon, and they were away from the temple, and they were away from Jerusalem, they started practicing prayer at 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. to coincide with the three times a day of the daily sacrifice back at the temple. And that's what Jews still practice today. Three times a day, 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m. And it's on the clock. Now, there are additional prayers depending on Shabbat. If it's Sabbath, there's additional prayers. If it's high holy days like Yom Kippur, there's, a diff- there's additional prayers. And there are additional prayers in, in, in addition to the three regular prayers every single day. But I want you to you know transport yourself into that mindset because here comes Jesus now addressing prayer. And what he's going to challenge is, what's the motive for praying? Are you doing it because it's 9 a.m., because it's 12 noon, because it's 3 p.m.? Or are you doing it because you really want to connect with the heart of the Father? Are you doing, are you reciting a prayer because that's the prayer you're supposed to recite and you've memorized it, and so you're just going to rattle it off like you've done a thousand times? Or do you spend time expressing yourself in your own words to the Father through intimate times of personal prayer? Now you'll notice within this section of prayer is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And even in some of our traditions, we've turned a model of prayer into a repetitive prayer. An open ocean. jump in and you'll find the
0: cornerstones, your connection Run towards your new
1: life.
0: Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. cornerstoneconnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions, to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew. And we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know